We are in the last chapter of the second to the last book of the Old Testament. We are only five chapters away from the end of the Old Testament. I, I don't know how long you've been with us in this, this journey starting way back in, in Genesis, some, you know, over a decade ago. And, and now we're actually here very, very close to the end, right? You can almost taste it. Uh, but yet you want to savor every single chapter, every single verse, because you know it's coming to the end. And, and it's one of those things, especially as we're ending uh, the book of Zechariah and, and we'll be starting the book of Malachi uh, tonight. It's one, it's one of those things that we're preparing for something that is coming. Uh, it, it's not only the privilege of knowing, and, and we look back and we know who is coming, the Messiah is coming. Jesus Christ is coming on to the scene, but all the preparation, all, all this, you know, segues that we're going to be seeing, all, all these preludes to uh, the New Testament. And, and it's really a privilege as we walk through these last uh, five chapters of the Old Testament, how the Lord weaves in these things that we recognize looking back over, you know, some 2,500 uh, years ago, but, but the understanding is to the people that are receiving this, there's an anticipation, that there, there's this hope, there, there's a something that they're, they're looking forward to, and it's the anointed one, the one that's going to save them from their sin. And so as we approach this last chapter of the book of Zechariah, I, I hope that same anticipation is building in you. It's, it's one of those things, especially as, you know, normally, you know, especially as, as Christians, normally we, we focus on the New Testament, and thank God the New Testament is, is the Old Testament revealed. It, it focuses on who Jesus Christ is, but the Old Testament also focused on uh, the Messiah as well. In fact, the, every single book in the whole Old Testament always pointed to the anointed one, the Messiah, the Messiah. As we're going to see here, starting in chapter 14, we'll read the first uh, five verses here. Behold, a day is coming for Yahweh. When the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, indeed, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city will go forth in exile, but those left of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations as the day when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north, and the other half toward the south, and you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Indeed, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And this is the most important phrase right here. 
Because if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to be a part of it. Then Yahweh my God will come and all his holy ones with him. And so, Father, tonight as we approach this majestic prophecy, a, a prophecy that, that we as Christians get to be uh, physically a part of, to, to be able to see with new eyes, the, the privilege of knowing uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, as someone that believes in Jesus Christ, their, their Lord and their Savior, to be a part of his Holy One, and watch that mountain split, and those gates torn asunder. And so, Father, tonight, help us to have that same excitement, that, that same anticipation, Lord, that Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, tonight, as we approach this weighty subject, Lord, prepare our hearts all those things that may be weighing us down right now, all those decisions that we've had to make this week, all, all the hardships in our life that, that we, we just need a break from. We need rest, Lord. Lord, help us to lay those things at your feet right now. Lord, I thank you so much for these, my friends, family that are gathered here tonight, those that are watching online, those that may be watching in the future. I ask you bless them. Open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds to receive your word. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we, we ended with this kind of um, uh, cliffhanger, if you will. I, I showed you a couple pictures. The guys have these pictures. I actually took these pictures in February of this year. This is the place. That this is literally the place that, that as Jesus Christ steps on the Mount of Olives that we see here in Zechariah chapter 14, this is the place that will be split. And people have known that for thousands of years and even today are trying to stop it from happening. In fact, if you look at those pictures right there, there, there is brick that are literally stealing this gate right now. Uh, way back in 1008 AD, you know, there, there was these the certain groups that had uh, banded together and in order to prevent the Jewish Messiah from going through these gates, which all the Jews believe in, uh, these gates were sealed. Not only that, not only were they sealed with bricks, but there was a grave that was put in front of them. In fact, you can see all those graves that are right in front of them. Uh, those are Arab graves. The, the, these are people that, that the Jews, of course, consider unclean, that you know the Messiah would never trample on or, or go through. The amazing thing is they're missing what the Bible says. Because what does the Bible say is going to happen? We, we, we see it here. In fact, not only here, but also in the book of Revelation. In fact, if you look at the book of Revelation, you'll see a, a more fleshed out, I guess you will, a description of these things, not only the things that happened before, but also the things uh, that happen after. In verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 14, it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And by the way, the Mount of Olives is where this picture is taken from. 
uh, looking across what's called the Kidron uh, Valley, uh, this valley that goes north-south along the walls of Jerusalem. What will happen when Jesus, the Messiah, puts his feet and stands on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east? And this gate is called the Eastern Gate, by the way, the, the gate that was called beautiful in uh, the book of Acts, will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. The, the valley that's running right now is from north to south. The valley that will split when Jesus Christ lands on the Mount of Olives is going to split uh, from east to west. It is literally going to make a path for the Messiah. That, that, that gate is going to be split in half. Those, those graves are going to be moved out of the way. And who's going to step through? In all of his glory, by the way. No longer on that, you know, donkey that we saw earlier in the book of Zechariah. But now with the armies of heaven behind him. But even better than that, and I, I mean, this is absolutely mind-blowing. But even better than that, you get to be a part of it if you know Jesus Christ personally, right? Because you're a part of the Holy One. You see, we call this the second coming. This is different than the rapture. The, the, the rapture happens at the beginning of the tribulation time period. There's seven years of tribulation. And then when Jesus Christ returns with his holy ones, as we see here in the end of verse 5, they return with him. And you don't have to pay three or $4,000 to go there. Isn't that great, by the way? Salvation is always free. There's lots of perks too, by the way. But, but you understand what's going to take place, the majesty of the Messiah is going to be displayed for the world to see. Majesty of Jesus Christ proclaimed as the Messiah. Look what's going to happen, by the way. Verse 3, going back to that verse, it says, Then Yahweh will go forth and fight against those nations as the day when he fights on the day of battle the title that is used more than any other title for the Lord and the minor prophets, the, the Lord of hosts, the one who is in charge of all the armies of heaven. What power and authority is that? No one else can lead the armies of heaven except for God himself. Not, not only Jesus Christ proclaiming his deity his magnificence, his kingship as Lord of lords and King of kings for the entire world to see. There's an amazing psalm, by the way, Psalm 24. This also looks forward to this event as well. It was written by David, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. It says there in Psalms 24, verse 1, the earth is Yahweh's as well as its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. 
for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the mountain of Yahweh and who may rise in his holy place? He who has innocent hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to worthlessness and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall lift up a blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. Pay heed, O Jacob, Salah. Listen to verses 7 through 9. Lift up your heads, O gate. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. You understand that this is looking forward to this event as well. And people have been trying to stop it from happening. Literally stealing up these gates, the eastern gates, the, the gate that was once called a beautiful this gate where uh, Peter and John actually healed uh, a person who was lame there. You remember that story, right? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That, was, that happened right in front of this same area where these gates are. And the predictions of happening of what Jesus Christ God, the Messiah, coming to the earth, no longer as a babe in a manger, but as majesty coming to the earth. Look at what it says there in verses 8 and 9 of Psalms 24. Who is this king of glory? Looking forward to this event, Yahweh, strong and mighty, Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift yourself up, O ancient doors. You, you understand the description here. All, all these, these ancient uh, walls or these ancient gates are going to be creaked open literally with an earthquake. Divided from east to the west. Why? That the king of glory may come in. As he walks through those split gates, who is he, this king of glory, Yahweh of hosts? He is the king of glory. Selah. And, and by the way, David is writing about his great, 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 great grandson, too. A Jesus, the Christ, the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Continues on there, going back to Zechariah chapter 14. And remember, we, we've been going through the, the uh, Legacy Standard Bible just for the minor prophets. And, and the reason why is because the Legacy Standard Bible brings out this word, Yahweh. And, and, and the, the name of God is so important. The intimacy of God to his people, you know, this name that he gave to them. Uh, way back at the burning bush when Moses was asking, you know, who shall I say sent me? And, and God said, I am that I am. This, this term that we get the name of God uh, from uh, Yahweh. And, and just being able to see that word in your Bible a, a, as it's being described here. Normally, in whether it's the New King James or, or other translations, it's and, and you can know this too. It's a capital L, capital O, capital R, uh, capital D. 
okay? And, and, and it's just a, a different way of spelling it, if you will. And so as we go through the Legacy Standard Bible, you actually see the intimacy of God with his people, revealing his name to the Jews. Starting there in verse 6, it says, And it will be in that day that there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. And it will be a unique day, which is known to Yahweh, neither day nor night, but it will be that at evening time there will be light. Isn't that amazing, by the way? Who controls every single rotation of the earth, every single celestial body? Who, who's in charge? God is. He's going to prove it, by the way, not only by causing this earthquake to happen, not only resting his feet there on the Mount of Olives, but also causing it to be daylight in the middle of the night. Look at what else is going to happen. Verse 8, and it will be in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in uh, winter, these living waters that we're going to see in, in just a little bit in Ezekiel chapter 47, these living waters that are going to come from the very throne room of God as he is sitting triumphantly entering into Jerusalem itself. Oh, look what else will happen. Verse 9, and Yahweh will be king over all the earth in that day. Yahweh will be the only one and his name one. There, there's unity in the Godhead. Yes, this is Jesus Christ, but he's going to be sitting on the throne and the world will worship him. For a thousand year reign, what we call the millennial kingdom. But not only that, verses 10 and 11, all the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, uh, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and inhabit its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine presses and the people will inhabit it and there will no longer be anything devoted to destruction for Jerusalem will be inhabited in security. By the way, that's the first time in all of history when this is going to take place. Because if you know anything about the history of Jerusalem, what has always happened in Jerusalem, even today, by the way, there's always strife. There's always things that are taking place in terms of skirmishes and wars over this one little area of the world where people literally fight over this territory. If you were with us when we were in Ezekiel chapter 47, and, and by the way, I mean, Ezekiel is perfect in terms of the comparisons that we see between Ezekiel and the book of Zechariah. Ezekiel just kind of fleshes it out more because it's a bigger, bigger book. Uh, but in chapter 47 of the book of Ezekiel, we see what happens to these rivers that are coming out of the temple throne. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1, it says, Then he brought me back to the door of the house. 
Behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east. Exactly the same description that we saw in Zechariah chapter 14. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from the south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate, and he led me around by the way of the outside to the outer gate, by way of the gate that faces east, through those gates that have been split, by the way. Now, now people have access through, through this entrance, and behold, water was trickling from the south side. Verse 3, And when the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured 1,000 uh, cubits. This is 1,500 feet. And he had me pass through the water, water reaching the ankles. You have to picture this, okay? The description is very, very graphic. You can actually see it, okay? You can probably even feel it if you actually picture this in your mind's eye. You know, it starts out ankle deep, and then every 1,000 cubits or every 1,500 feet, it gets a little bit deeper, okay? It's this gradual flowing of this river coming out from the temple, from the throne of the Messiah. What does it say in verse 4? Again, he measured 1,000 and had me pass through the water, water reaching the knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and he had me pass through the water, water reaching the loins. And again, he measured 1,000. It was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had become high, enough water to swim in. A, a river that could not be passed uh, through. This little trickle that is coming out from under the throne is now turning into a river. And by the way, it's living water. And it's going to transform the land. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel or, or maybe even want to go to Israel. Uh, but Israel is very similar to what we call the, the Central Valley, right, where we live. It, it, it's just one-third the size. It's surrounded on mountains on both sides. It, there's this very large valley in the middle, and, and, and this is the place where a lot of agriculture takes place, just like in our, our very own Central uh, Valley. But there's an area in the south called the Dead Sea where, where literally nothing grows. Where, where, where this, this spot where literally it's death incarnate as, as there's salt levels so high, higher than even the sea itself, so that nothing grows in it or around it. Uh, so much salt, by the way, that you can actually float in it, okay? You can ask my wife or, or Kevin about that, you know, because you can actually literally lay on your back and it just sets you up. You can't sink in this dead uh, sea. And, and the understanding is what's going to happen to this dead sea because of the living water that is now flowing out of the throne. Look at the description. By the, by the way, I mean, the people that, you know, Ezekiel's writing to, Zechariah's writing to, they understand this. How can something that is such a high uh, salt content come back to life. Something that it literally is named Dead Sea come back to life or come to life. 
We see this description here. Verse 6, Ezekiel chapter 47. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me, returned me back to the bank of the river. And when I returned, now behold, on the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region, go down into the Arabah, and then they go toward the sea, being made to flow out to the sea, and the waters of the sea will be healed. This dead sea will come back to life. And it will be that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live and there will be very many fish for these waters go there and the other waters are healed so everything will live where the river goes what happens when the messiah comes in not only is he triumphant over the enemies of the people of of israel but also he provides life to what is now dead and and again, verse 10, it really sums this up really, really well. And it will be that fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Engalim. Uh, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. By the way, these places are halfway up the mountains. These are the places where uh, David would have run to when he was fleeing Saul. This, this place was called Engedi. And now people will be able to fish into the waters that are now inhabited by all different kinds of sea life. Can, can you imagine that? Where, where, where the power of God literally causes death to come to life. Not only that, by the way, we also see in the book of Ezekiel where dry bones come to life. Not, not just nature, but also people as well. This is the power of Jesus Christ, by the way. That's what he does with us, right? What, what was not once dead is now alive. What, what once was, once was a, a sinner is now holy. Those who were once, you know, dead have now come back to life in Jesus Christ. An old creation became new, right? Look at the end of verse 10 of Ezekiel 47. Their fish will be according to their kinds like the fish of the great sea, very many. Where, where literally you can throw in those nets and catch lots of fish. This is the power of God. And, and by the way, you know, if you're a Christian, you're going to actually be able to experience this. You're going to be one of those holy ones that walk through the gate. Where, where, where you get to, you know, be with Christ for this thousand year reign here on uh, the earth. Going back to Zechariah chapter uh, 14, verse 12, we see it from the perspective of the Jewish nation now. Now this will be the plague with which Yahweh will plague all the people who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their socket, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will be in that day that abundant confusion from Yahweh will fall on them and, and they will take hold of one another's hand and the hand of one will go up against the hand of another. By the way, this is what the people 
that were in Jerusalem during the time when Jesus was here, literally on the earth. This was what they were hoping for. This was what they were hoping for would happen to the Romans. This is what they were hoping for would happen to the Gentile nations, okay? Of course, Jesus has a, a different plan. Of course, when he first came, he came as a lamb that was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. But this event that he's talking about here, this is all those people that have come against Jerusalem during the battle of Armageddon and what's going to happen to every single one of them. I, I know the description is very, very graphic, okay? We're, we're going to see more graphic, you know, details here. Uh, but, but, but what happens when war takes place? These nations that have banded together against the nation of Israel. What's going to happen to them? Where they're literally going to rot because of their plans against Israel. Something's going to happen even more amazing than that. Verses 14 and 15. And Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered. Gold and silver and garments in great abundance. And in the same way, the plague on the horses, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps will be like this. Uh, plague plunder and abundance given to Israel. Verse 16, then it will be that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of the boost. Do you understand in terms of what it means to join with Israel in celebrating their Messiah? Now, of course, these are the people that have survived the, the tribulation time period. Uh, the, these are the people that are going through this horrendous war called the Battle of Armageddon, where literally that valley that is there in a uh, central part of Israel car, called Megiddo, this place where literally the blood will flow to the bridle of a horse. There's so much blood that's going to be taking place because of this great war that is happening. But then, uh, what does God do? He restores. He always restores. There's always grace, even to the enemies of God, because what will be the welcome? Will there be peace again, and will God welcome them? All these people that were once the enemies of God, will he welcome them in? Even to the celebrations, even to the feasts. Look what it says there in verse 17. And it will be that whichever of the families over the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which Yahweh plagues the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt, the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the feasts of booths. And uh, just to give you a kind of a highlight, the, the feast of booths was a remembrance of what happened during the, what was called the Exodus, okay? That this was a time that would remember when we had no houses, okay? Where, where literally they would have to build a, a, a small tent uh, out of, you know, uh, various pieces of wood 
They, they would have to actually live outside of their house for a certain period of time in order to remember the time that God had led them out of Egypt. Do you understand what remembrance does? Do, do you remember those times in your life when it felt like you were in the wilderness? And most of the time we want to forget those times. But who brought you through every single step of the way? Who brought you through? It was God, right? And so this time of remembrance was meant to bring them to an appreciation of what they had of the now, an appreciation of who brought them through the hard time. That's what the Feast of Booths represent. But even more importantly, it brings to remembrance what is holy, what I truly value. Because look at what it says in the very last two verses of Zechariah chapter 14. And in that day, there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to Yahweh. And the pots in the house of Yahweh will be like the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to Yahweh of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and, and take of them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of Yahweh of hosts in that day. You see, what's going to happen is the mundane those things that we normally use for mundane things or just everyday use, they will become holy. Can you imagine that, by the way? Your, your pots that are underneath your cupboards right now, where, where literally those pots will become holy. Where, where, where literally everything you do will be as to the glory of God. That's why every single time I, I pray, whenever we, 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 we end the service or begin the service, that we always glorify God in every single thing that we do. Because even the mundane things, even going to work, even, even waking up, e even the things that we do on a daily basis that so many times we take for granted, I can do it as unto the Lord. And we're called to do that, by the way. Every single walk of our life, we're called to glorify God in. It's not just a, a Sunday thing or a, a Wednesday thing or a Friday or a Monday or, or just a certain day of the week or, or maybe Christmas or Easter or whatever it may be. No, it's every single second of every single day dedicated to God. And, and this is what Zechariah is ending with. Every single part of their lives is going to be dedicated to the glory of God even down to the most mundane of things, the pot, the bells on the horses, all, all these things that, you know, would have been used for just, you know, common practice or, or ordinary things are now going to be dedicated to God. We can do that now, by the way, too. We're, we're literally every single aspect of our lives, what, what, whether it's our, our gifts, our abilities, our, our hobbies, our our, our everyday walk, we will be using it for the glory of God. You, you can bring heaven down now. Did you know that? You can be an example of, 
of Jesus Christ now. In fact, that's exactly what a Christian's supposed to do, right? Christians, by definition, are little Christ. But we're, we're supposed to be followers of Christ, right? Where, where every single place that we go, every single, single thing that we do, we are emulating Christ, right? Where, where you can be a witness wherever you're at. You don't need a pastor to be there. You don't have to, you know, have a, a certain degree or whatever. It, 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 it's you. As a disciple, as a follower of Christ, being holy as unto the Lord. Don't think of yourself as common. Don't think of yourself as common. Don't think of yourself as a mundane person, boring, whatever it is. You're holy unto the Lord. And it's truly a privilege, by the way. Malachi, chapter 1. Malachi only has four chapters, by the way. It's really uh, an amazing book. I don't know if you've ever read it before or even had a, a sermon. By the, by the way, there are certain parts of Malachi that are always used in certain um, sermons. Uh, Malachi is one of those books that normally what we do, we don't normally read the whole book. Normally we, we take verses out of it to support other parts of the Bible. Uh, one, one of those sections that we're going to be seeing here is about tithing. So if you're really brave, you'll come next week and learn about tithing, okay? I, I've never, ever had to teach a, a sermon on tithing before, ever. Uh, when you go through the Bible, eventually you're going to touch every single topic in the entire Bible. And this, of course, is one of those topics that people do not like to hear about. Uh, the nation of Israel did not want to hear about tithing. They, they didn't want to have, hear about giving to the temple. Uh, they, they hated that subject. In fact, we'll see that even here at the beginning of, of the book, just like people today, you know. But the great thing is, if you come on a Wednesday night, if you notice, we never take tithe. We, we, none of the guys, of course, we don't have enough guys to, you know, uh, hand out the, the tithing or anything like that. You know, none of us here uh, get paid. We're always volunteers on, on Wednesday nights, the guys in the back, the worship team, myself. You know, we're all just volunteers, okay? So we don't take tithes on Wednesday night. But the challenge is, do you tithe? Are you willing to trust God with your finances? So, I, again, that's a very brave topic. So if you're here next week, I, I know that you're, you're you know, or, or unless you forget or something like that, which, you know, most people do, you know, uh, just come out of habit or whatever, but, but please do. And of course you, you, you'll see how the Lord always, uh, blesses because of it. Malachi chapter one, verse one, it says the Oracle of the word of Yahweh to Israel by the hand of now there's this, always this joke. My, my brother and I, we had this, this, uh, biblical joke book when we were growing up. And, and one of the questions was, you know, what's, What's the only Italian uh, uh, author of the Bible, you know? Yeah, you know, uh, Dino, Dino knows this, you know, Malachi, right? Malachi. You know, th th this is one of those words that sometimes we mispronounce depending on how you grew up, you know, but, but it, it's normally it's pronounced uh, Malachi. This is one of those words in the scripture that the name uh, 
Malachi that again has a very, very deep meaning as we've been seeing with every single one of the minor and also major prophets as well. His name means my messenger. My messenger. And we're going to see this term, my messenger. And again, there's going to be homework again at the end of the night. You know, just four chapters. You don't have to read a lot. But, but just to read them, be looking out for my messenger because you're going to see those words used over and over and over again, especially in chapters two and three. Where, where, where the word my messenger, the very definition of Malachi's name is going to be seen in the text. Where, where when he preaches, when he, when he teaches, when he prophesies, he's going to be a standing up there, Malachi, my messenger, and the words are going to be coming out of his mouth. The words of God. There's this other word, and this is the last time we're going to see it, so I want to make sure we truly understand it. We've seen it multiple times, just even the last uh, month or so, this word oracle. The last time you're going to see it. In the whole entire Bible, by the way. The, the, this word oracle, it means burden. It's the burden of God placed on the messenger of God to give to the people of God. It, it's the burden, the message that God has placed upon the prophet in order to give away. It's always meant to be given away. A burden is always meant to be placed somewhere else. Hopefully you do this yourself. You, you have to move something from one place to another place, right? Whether it's you have to carry it or whether you have to you know, use a fork, forklift or, or you have to somehow move it. But there's a reason why you're moving this burden uh, from one place to another, right? And it's not to carry it forever never to carry it forever, right? It's always to be moved or given away, right? God places a burden on your heart. Go pray for that person. Go talk to that person. Go witness to that person. Help that person. He places a burden on your heart and it weighs you down until what happens? Give it away, right? And then what happens to your heart? It's light. And then God gives you another bird and another bird. And it's always meant to be given away, right? Now, what happens if I keep that bird? What happens if I don't obey the Lord? What does it feel like? Yeah, there's this weight on your soul. The same thing with the prophet, same thing with Malachi, same thing with Haggai, same thing with Zechariah. We saw that twice in the book of Zechariah. The same thing with all the prophets. There was this burden that was given to them to give away. Verse 2, I have loved you, says Yahweh. Isn't that a great way to start out a book? Until you read the sarcasm behind the word. If you've already read the book of Malachi, uh, you, you know what's going to happen. There's going to be this exchange, if you will, between uh, the people of God and, and Yahweh. Or, or God himself. The sarcasm, li literally dripping sarcasm from God himself. I have loved you, says Yahweh, but you say, how have you loved us? 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares Yahweh, yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. I have set his mountains to be a desolation as an inheritance for the jackals of uh, the wilderness. You remember the story of the twins, right? Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, there was Abraham, then he had a son by the name of Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Remember what happened, Esau was red, he came out of the womb first, and Jacob's holding onto his heel, or onto his foot. And so Esau, being red, was named uh, Esau, which means a red, where we get the Edomite. And then you have Jacob, who comes out second, who is called heel grabber, or deceiver, or Jacob who later, by the way, deceives his brother, who later, by the way, deceives his dad, who later, by the way, deceives his uncle, who, who, whose entire generations that come after are known for deceit until Jacob's name is transformed into Israel, where, where God wrestled with him and changed his name to mean something better. We'll go into it more next week. But what was the first deceit? It was with his own twin brother, by the way. What, what, what did Jacob do with that birthright? He, he wanted something from Esau, and Esau was so famished, he was willing to give it up. By right, as the older son, even though he was only a couple minutes older, Esau had what was called the birthright. And the birthright was given to the oldest son, okay? And so as you read this this coming week, you have to keep this in mind. And so whenever there was a, an inheritance, it wasn't split evenly amongst all the kids. It was always one extra added. So if there's two kids, the inheritance is divided into three. Okay, if there's, there's 12 kids, which we'll see also next week, when there's 12 kids, the inheritance is divided by 13, okay? There's always one extra. And the oldest is always given two portions, okay? So what does that mean for Esau? If he's given not half, but two-thirds. And Jacob was supposed to receive one-third. And so... When he goes and Esau is so famished and he comes in and says, I'll give you anything for that bowl of red beans and a little bit of bread and some water. He despised his birthright, the Bible says, trading that two-thirds portion for a bowl of red beans because he was famished. And of course, Jacob, what does he do? Yeah, of course, I'll do that. You know, and he, he deceives his brother, by the way, out of his birthright. And now the younger becomes the greater. Jacob becomes the one who inherits the greater blessing. Now, there's a reason why there's always a birthright or a double portion that is given to the oldest. Because the oldest has responsibility to care for the mom when the dad dies. He's, he's responsible now for the family. In fact, Jesus Christ, what was the last thing, the last earthly thing that he did here on this earth? From the cross, by the way. 
making sure his mom was taken care of. Right? He said to John, this is your mother, Mary, this is your son. Giving away that, that last of those earthly responsibilities that he had. The care of his own physical mom. So as you walk through, you'll, you'll see this. And, and, and by the way, you know, we'll, we'll just read a couple more verses here. Uh, just to understand what's happening, this, this facetiousness, this, this sarcasm, because God has loved Israel despite their past, despite their deception, despite their hard-heartedness, despite their stiff-necked, God still is faithful even when they themselves are not faithful. And this is why the book of Malachi is so important. Because what happens when you keep ignoring God? When you keep despising God, when God continually loves you over and over again, he's faithful to you over and over again, and you completely ignore him. It's, it's not because God has left, but because we've left. We put up those barriers between us and God, and there's now silence. We'll see this at the end of the book of Malachi. I'm just going to read verses four and five here. Though Edom says, we have been demolished, but we will return and build up the waste places. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. They may build, but I will pull down. And men will call them a territory of wickedness. And the people toward whom Yahweh is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this and you will say, Yahweh be magnified beyond the territory of Israel. By the way, aren't you glad for that? Well, aren't you glad that, that God isn't just for the Jewish nation? Yes, he is. He, he loves the Jewish nation. He, 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 they're his chosen uh, people. But aren't you glad that Yahweh is magnified beyond the borders of Israel? Because even those of us without a single drop of Jewish blood, we get the privilege of knowing God personally too. And tonight, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe, maybe I mean, these things, are, am I actually sure that I'm going to actually come back with the Lord? Am, am I going to go up to meet him in the air, as the book of First Thessalonians says, I'm, I'm going to actually be a part of his family? Am I actually going to heaven? If you don't know that for certain, you can, by the way. There, there's a hope that is an anchor for our soul. The book of Hebrews describes that you can know for sure, and it only comes in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah who's going to be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. And thank God, right? Because he reaches out to us as well. Again, looking forward to the New Testament, the segue that we see between Malachi and the New Testament, looking forward to when Jesus Christ not only dies for the Jewish nation, but dies for the world as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you can know him personally. It's truly a privilege. So read the, the rest of the book of Malachi this week, and we'll, we'll come back. Uh, there, there's a lot of heavy subjects, kind of, and, and the reason why is because the Israelites at this time, they're, they're rejecting the Lord again. 
And there's going to be a, a period of time now between Malachi and Matthew where there's going to be this period of silence. 400 years without a single prophet. 400 years where God is no longer going to be prophesying or, or giving his word to his people. And so as we come back next week, just, you know, just read ahead. It will really bless you, by the way. There's always, you know, a blessing in correction. There's always blessing in discipline. There's always blessing in, you know, the Lord uh, reaching out to wayward uh, people. And so, Father, tonight as we, we close, Lord, I, I thank you so much for your word. And, and it's hard at times to read these things. As we're going to be reading in the book of Malachi, these hard things that, that are going to be the subjects that are, make us uncomfortable. Just as we, we experienced tonight, even the, the time of silence where we, we just listen to you and, and it truly is uncomfortable to sit before you at times. Where, where we, we um, listen to you rather than speak to you. Where, where, where we receive your word rather than telling you our shopping list. Or, so, Lord, please forgive us when we think our words are more important than yours. We thank you that you always listen to us. We thank you that you're always there for us. But, Lord, help us to experience that fellowship that can only come from a, a two-way relationship, listening to you. And so as we, we go our separate ways, I ask you bless these, my friends, my family, especially as we, we, we read ahead this coming week in the book of Malachi, that you would really prick our hearts, that you would give us that same burden that you gave for uh, Malachi, that, you would have that, that we would have that same heart of, of wanting to tell other people about you. And so I ask that you use us for your glory this week, that you would uh, help us to focus upon you, that we would have that desire to spread you to those around us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight.